I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 8, the entirety of the chapter. Here now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to be his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run after his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice, their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So ends the reading of God's word. And what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Would you please speak to us this morning? Would you subdue us to yourself? Would you remind us of your love? Woo us back into conformity with your commandments that we might love you and serve you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we sang the song, the familiar song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And if you think about the lyrics of that familiar song, that could certainly serve as a summary of what we saw in chapter 7 and leading into this story here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. The Lord had been gracious. He had shown himself to be the fount of every blessing, and yet the people lamented Uh, on the absence of their God. They had felt the lack of blessing among them because the glory had departed Israel, and yet there were streams of mercy never ceasing as the Lord called Samuel to go and call the people to repentance, to humble themselves before the Lord. And the Lord answered them as they repented in 
genuineness of heart. He thundered against the Philistines, and in response of God's mercy and God's grace, they set up an Ebenezer, a stone of help. Samuel called it the stone of help because until then he said, God has helped us. God has saved us. Now when we come to chapter 8, several years have gone by and Samuel's now an old man. And the third verse of that song ring true, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here, in chapter 8, the Israelites, the people of God, they, their hearts wander from the God of grace, God who has redeemed them, saved them, entered into covenant with them. Brothers and sisters, God is immensely gracious and immensely glorious. He is infinite in his mercy infinite in his kindness, infinite in his patience, infinite in his power. He is sovereign over all things. He is infinite in his goodness. He is for us. He loves us so supremely, so perfectly, that he sent his own son. He did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. He, he gives us Forgiveness from our sins, joy in our hearts. He is the fount of every blessing. Why do our hearts wander? Why are they so prone to wander from the God of love? I think this, 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Lord holds up as an answer to that question. I think he holds it up as a mirror to our own hearts. What we can see in the Israelites is that they wandered because of the folly of discontent. The folly of discontent. God had proven his grace, his power, his love, his patience. But it wasn't enough. They were discontent. They weren't content with his ways. Being patient to wait on the Lord. They grew impatient with him. They wanted their battles won at their time. They wanted security of their form. And so they rejected the Lord. But it was a, there was a folly in that discontent, I said, a folly, because God's ways are always better. Each and every way, each and every point of discontentment was satisfied in God himself, even the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was a folly as they looked for something else than what God provided. And that, that discontent was expressed in this request for a change in leadership. Now, it's probably helpful for us to remember how the Lord had led his people up until this point in Israel's history. And quite simply, we could say he led his people by men of God's own choosing. He had chosen Abram to be the father of many nations. He had chosen Jacob to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He had chosen Moses to be the man through whom he delivered his people out of Egypt and through the wilderness. He chose 
Joshua to be the man who succeeded Moses and led his people into the land of promise and conquered all their enemies. And after Joshua, God chose the judges to deliver his people, to judge them in accordance with his righteousness and his good plan. And as you might remember, the time of the judges comes all the way up to Samuel. Samuel judged Israel, and God was with him. And yet, it was not enough. This, this period of God's choosing was not good enough. The people wanted, they took the opportunity here to make a change. They wanted to get ahead of the curve. God's pattern had been that when a judge died, a period of time would go by. And at just the right time, the Lord would raise up another judge to deliver his people out of the hand of their enemies. But that wasn't good enough. Samuel was now old. He had appointed his sons to judge, and they were corrupt. They were corrupt. And they said, let's take this opportunity for a change in leadership. And they came to Samuel, and they said, Samuel, appoint for us. You're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Brothers and sisters, this was not just a mere succession planning. This was a slap in the face of Samuel. Sam, the Lord had been with Samuel from his birth. The Lord had called him when he was young. The Lord had spoken to him and spoken through him. He had spoken to Israel through Samuel. Samuel had faithfully judged Israel his entire life. But now he was old. He wasn't dead. And they said, well, you're, you're old your sons, they, they don't walk in your ways. And they said, appoint us a king to judge us. Said, Samuel, it's time for retirement. Find your replacement. You need to take some time off. You're done. And this thing displeased the Lord, and he took it to the Lord in prayer. And beloved, that's exactly what we must do when we face trials, when we face joys of many kinds. We need to take it to the Lord in prayer. And so he did because it displeased him. And the Lord said, I think you misunderstood. The pain is real, but I think you misunderstood what's really going on here. Samuel heard, give us a king that he may judge us. And the Lord heard something different. He said, no, they are saying, give us a king. Appoint us a king. He says, obey their voice. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Now, what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that God has always been the king. He was their king this entire time. He appointed prophets and priests and judges, but they had a ministry under the authority of the rule of the king of kings. We saw that, and, and, and the, the, this kingdom mindset was there from the very beginning. That's what he sent Moses to say to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he said, let my people go that they may serve me. It was king against king. It was battle, spiritual battle. And when he did lead them out, Moses did lead them out, and he took them to the foot of Sinai. He's, he said, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and holy 
nation. And the prophets that he raised up spoke on behalf of the king. The priests were there to minister sacrifices to the king. The judges were to deliver by the power of the king. But it wasn't enough. They were discontent. And they said, give us a king like all the other nations. We can even see the, the, the source of their discontent and why they wanted this king. We need to hold that up and evaluate our own hearts. I think there's three, three particular ways that they, I, they pinpointed their discontent. And each of them had an element of folly in them. And the first was provision. They were discontent with the Lord's means of provision. Now, brothers and sisters, God promises. He promises. He has always promised to provide everything that we need when we need it. But God operates on a manna principle. A manna principle. Just like when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, he said, when you go out in the morning, there will be bread for you. You will have provision." but don't gather more than you need. You just need it for that day. I will, I will provide you exactly what you need each and every day you go out. Trust me, and it will be there. But brothers and sisters, we are not content with daily bread. We pray this, give us this day our daily bread, but we don't want daily bread. We want a pantry full of bread, and we want a subscription service from some online shopping site to be to resupply the pantry each and every week and the lord had provided deliverance for his people through the, the the judges every time they needed it when he knew that they needed it but that wasn't good enough they wanted the certainty of deliverance they wanted a kingly an unbroken kingly line they said, so, so that we would have a king, that he will go out before us, and he will fight our battles. They wanted that provision. And yet there was folly in their request. Folly in their request, because, beloved, God is the great giver. He gives us everything that we need. He even gives them this king that they ask for, even though it's not good for them. They ask, he gives. And yet, Kids, what was that word that we heard over and over and over again as the Lord warned them about this king? The word was, take, take, take. He will take everything that is important to you, everything that is valuable. He will take your sons and your daughters. He will take your property. He will take your produce. He will take your servants. And he will take your freedom because you will become his slaves. And what's more, he will take your access to the true king because on that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But on that day, the Lord will not answer you. They were, un they were discontent with God's provision. Secondly, they were discontent with God's demand for holiness. God had said, you will be a holy nation, holy as far as set apart and pure, but primarily being set apart. Distinct, unique, not like the other nations. God called them out and he said, 
I will give you these laws. So many of the holiness laws were there to set them apart from the nation so that they were distinct. But they were a stench in the nostrils of the other nations. They were hated by the other nations. And they didn't want to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. They said, give us a king. He says, that we might be like the other nations. That we might be like all the other nations. Beloved, what, there was such folly in that request. Because what a blessing to be distinctly called by the God of the universe. There's no other nation that was called by the one true and living God. There was no other nation that was given his covenant, his laws, that was able to, to, to commune with God himself, one who was protected by the Almighty and cared for over and over again. And they said, it's not good enough. That's not good enough. We want to be like everybody else. And thirdly, they were discontent with God's authority. God's authority. They, they wanted God to go where they wanted to go, when they wanted to go, and they didn't want to have to submit to his rule. They said here in verse 20, he said, Let, give us this king that we may be like the other nations and that our king, our king may judge us and go out before us and fight, no, what, whose battles? Fight our battles. Fight our battles. In chapter four, they went out to fight their battle at Ebenezer and God didn't come with them. He didn't fight the way that they wanted him to. That's not acceptable, Israel said. We want a king that will fight our battles, that will judge us the way we want to be judged, that will do what we want. But God doesn't operate that way. God is the king. God is the sovereign king. His ways are not our ways. He leads us sometimes where we don't want to go. And dear friends, we have to hold that up as a mirror to our soul because doesn't that get to the heart of our struggles with authority and ultimately with our struggle with God's authority over our lives? We we are willing to submit to an authority figure that does what we want, when we want, that leads us where we want to go and fights the battles that we want to fight. In other words, we want a stronger, wiser, smarter, more authoritative version of ourselves. We want... We want to create an authority in our own image. And that's who we want to follow. They wanted a king after their own image that would do what they wanted. But that's not what God does. That's not the, that's not our, the sovereign God who is God. Because were he to do that, he would be no God at all. But he is the creator. He is the maker. He is the ruler over all things. And he says, no, you are created in my image. True blessing, true, true wisdom, true strength is not in doing your own way and expecting me to come along with you in the midst of your wickedness and your sin and your foolishness. It's in abandoning that 
turning and following me, fighting my battles, going where I lead you. And beloved, we want, we want prosperity all the time in this life. We, we don't want to have to suffer, and yet the Lord sometimes takes away the things that are most dear to us. That's where he sometimes leads us. We want we want injustice remedied. We want wickedness stopped. And sometimes those aren't the battles God fights. We want a path of level playing fields in, in green grass by still waters. And sometimes God takes us through the valley of the shadow of death because he knows what is best. For us, we need to submit to that because he knows and he is God. And yet, beloved, what we have to see and where we, where we must be holy, reverent fear is in the fact that God sets before us a choice. He sets before us a choice. In the heart of the people, they they requested this king. They, they rejected the Lord's kingship and they requested it. And it was to their detriment. It was a terrible folly. And yet the Lord did not stop them. He said, obey the voice of the people. Give them what they want. Only warn them. And beloved, that's what we have to understand is that God does not force us to take his grace, to take his blessing. He, he calls us, he invites us, he pleads with us, he warns us, and there he promises great blessing, and he offers it before us, he shows us, he tells us in every which way. And yet we must choose to accept what he offers to us. And yes, it's true that we cannot choose apart from his grace. If we choose his grace, it is only because of his abundant grace to work in us that we might receive that which he has offered and we're only receiving something that he's already offered to us. It's all from him. It's all his grace. I'm not saying that any of it is of us, but you and I must choose to submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we must be careful not to let our hearts stray to these other gods because God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He will give us what we want. He will let us go run into our folly if we reject him. So we must be careful to bow the knee to our king. And it's not, a, it's not sufficient to do it in word only, but we must do it in word only Beloved, we are born into a kingdom of this world, a kingdom that is opposed to the true king. We seek after earthly kings and their wisdom. We, we look for the treasures of this kingdom. And yet, these treasures that this kingdom offers are meaningless. They're empty. They promise, they promise so much. And yet they, they deliver little. They, are, they take, 
take, take everything that we would hold dear, that we would want to have. There's no true deliverance, no true blessing, no true unity or holiness. Yet God promises everything. And he promises everything. And we can choose because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's the other thing that we must see very clearly is that in spite of man's folly, in spite of the rejection of God, God's purposes, his sovereign purposes and plans are never foiled, but only enhanced. Because these, these people of God, these Israelites, they rejected the Lord. And yet this opened the door to the coming of the true king. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings and Lord of lords. When Jesus came, that was God's true provision. That was his true blessing for us. He was given to us out of his great love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and it was true blessing. Jesus said, I am, I am the true bread come down from heaven. I am the true provision from God. He didn't come to take. He wasn't a king that would take. He was a king who came to give. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I did not come to be served like that king, to serve like the true king. He did not come to enslave, but to set free. Set free from sin, death, and the power of one of the one who has power over death, even the devil. But beloved, he was chosen by God, not chosen by us. Scripture is clear. He had no form or majesty that we would desire him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And as Pilate paraded him in front of the people and he said, Shall I crucify your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. We only want an earthly king. An earthly king. But dear friends, even though he was rejected by man, he was accepted by God because God raised him from the dead and he has seated him in the heavenly places on his judgment throne. And he told us, Jesus told us, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. What we do now is we kiss the Son. We submit ourselves to his royal rule. We fall in behind him. But we have to understand what that means, beloved. It means that we go where he goes, when he goes, and we fight his battles. These people in in 1 Samuel chapter 8 were God's people who had been set apart by God himself. This has to be a warning to us who put their faith in Christ Jesus, beloved. This is the nature of our hearts. We want to appropriate God's kingship for ourselves, but we must not do that. Jesus' battles are different battles than what we want to fight. He does not always come to our battles. We must fight his battles. Jesus said, 
very clearly. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Peter wanted to fight with a sword and he wanted to protect him. Jesus said, hold on. If I want to, if I want to win this battle, I've got it. Legions of angels will come. We'll take care of it. That's not my battle. He said, my battle is something else. My kingdom is something else. His kingdom is spiritual and heavenly. And we get tripped up in that because we are here on this earth. We want him to fight the battles on this earth. And beloved, we get impatient. We get impatient with our God. His priorities are different priorities from ours. We have good desires, but maybe his battle is not with these different things. We look at culture and we see wickedness and injustice rampant. And we see the church under attack. And we say, whoa, this is our, this is our battle. This is our fight. Lord, Lord, where are you? Sometimes he is silent and sometimes he doesn't fight that battle. We, we yearn for resolution. We yearn for justice. We yearn for wickedness to be defeated once and for all. We, we yearn for Jesus to be praised throughout the world with, with you know, pure gospel. And he's not, doesn't seem to be fighting that battle. And so we look to earthly kings. We look to using the, the, earth, the world's methods to accomplish what we think the Lord is seeking. We look to earthly politicians to say, oh, they will fight the culture war for us. That's where our hope ought to be. We look to education. Well, we, this is how we raise our kids to be the new generation of saints. That, that's how we will transform the world for Christ. Or we get on social media. And we fight the fight, the good fight of the truth of the gospel with anger and condescension and sarcasm and ridicule. Somehow thinking that if we fight with the world's weapons and the world's means that we will accomplish the Lord's glory. Beloved, those are not God's battles. His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, an earthly kingdom. His, his priorities are different. Hear me clearly, God cares deeply about holiness. He cares deeply about justice. He hates the lies that the world propagates. He hates the defilement of life that was created in his image. He hates the defilement of his good gift of marriage. But his battle is not against flesh and blood. His battle is against sin and death and the forces of this world. And his means is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His means is to proclaim the pure gospel of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for us and was raised to new life so that we might have life in him. Because, beloved, 
when a sinner repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's remarkable. That's supernatural. That is miraculous because that means that a sinner has been conquered by the king and his grace. That means that a sinner has become a new creation, regenerated by the Spirit. And in that, the wickedness of the world begins to be conquered. One saint as at a time, as the sin which is entangling us is put to death, and we walk in the newness of life, and we imitate our Savior Jesus Christ and are renewed into his image. And beloved, that is our king's battle. That is what drove him to the cross, to conquer sin, to conquer the power of death, to conquer Satan himself. And beloved, there will be a day where the kingdom of of this world and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same when Jesus Christ returns in all of his glory and that will be his glorious battle where he defeats wickedness permanently and brings justice permanently and holiness forever and ever. And there is no wickedness, conflict, strife, sickness, sadness of any kind. And on that day, we will see the answer to all of our prayers fulfilled. We will see the ache resolved in glory. And beloved, that is the battle that he is is aiming towards. Even as he recruits his kingdom and builds his kingdom here on earth in the hearts of his people and purifies us as exiles, not establishing an earthly kingdom, but as exiles in the midst of the world, holy and dearly loved. Beloved, do you know, do you know this king? Is he your king? This is the only king that will deliver everything that you are looking for. But we must walk in his kingdom, as citizens of his kingdom, with his priorities. He is king. We are not. Beloved, our king is not focused on temporary, passing successes in a tempor- with, to temporary fleeting problems. He is bringing salvation forever and ever in a perfect and final and full form that will be an eternal glory, beloved. And for us who put our faith in Christ, who kiss the Son, who bow the knee to him, who endure in him, we too will reign with him. My dear friends, submit to this king. Trust him, trust him to fight his battles in us and through us. Follow him wherever he goes. Let him to provide for you. He promises he will do it. Endure in him. Wait patiently for him, for he is coming soon, beloved, and with him, glory. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. 
that you have set your king on your holy hill. Thank you that you have enthroned him in the heavenly places and you have given him all authority and power. Help us to submit. Help us to be willing citizens of your kingdom. Oh Lord, fill us with hope. Fill us with strength. Fill us with trust. Help us not to wander to other kings that can deliver nothing and to take away take away us from you, but help us to put our trust solely and squarely in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen.